With cuts to the public sector beginning to bite, Wellington business leaders worry about the future for the capital's central business district. In late August, the government announced it would trim nearly $4 billion from public spending and instructed public sector agencies to cut one or two percentage points off existing baselines, starting with cutting spending on contractors and consultants. National has said it will cut expenditure on average across the public service by 6.5%, although it says this will not impact on frontline services. Wellington businesses say they're experiencing a perfect storm. Public sector cuts, too many public servants working from home, they say. Infrastructure and earthquake issues and changes to the Golden Mile, early work which on which begins today. That plan will see the road from Parliament to the Embassy Theatre pedestrianised and would allow only buses to travel through, perhaps service vehicles also. Our guests are Simon Arcus, who's Chief Executive of the Wellington Chamber of Commerce. Morena, Simon. Morena, how are you? I'm great, thank you. With us also is Carolyn Young, who's Chief Executive of Retail New Zealand. Morning, Carolyn. Morena. Simon, let's begin with you. Uh, just how important is the public sector to Wellington's economy, to the city? Uh, no uh, way you can understate it, really. It's vital. You're talking about uh, roughly half the economy uh, and, of course, all the support services that, like uh, the professional firms built around that uh, that make their living from it. So it's, it's at the heart and soul of Wellington. What are you seeing already? What we're seeing is, is structural change, obviously, the working from home changes, uh, the impact of COVID on people's um, decisions about what they're going to do in their future. And, uh, and a great deal, I think, of uncertainty would be the word that I'd use. People just um, are not sure what the future of the city is uh, when you look at how much uh, activity is going on and the impact, say, changes to Gold Mile, for example, might have. And that uncertainty, are we actually seeing investment being put on hold? What I'd say is that one of the big stories that we sometimes miss is, is opportunity cost, uh, where you create uncertainty. So if if businesses aren't sure what the impact of change is going to be on them, they'll hold off uh, making decisions. And if you look at something like the Golden Mile, a business that uh, can't be sure that it's going to be operating in a few years because of cost or loss of foot traffic is going to make decisions on that basis. Can you give us an idea of some of that that is happening in real time now, multi-million dollar developments that aren't going to go ahead right now? Well, there's, there's two that come straight to mind and, and, and plenty more, I'm sure. One is obviously the Golden Mile um, uh, is impacted. It's the side streets are also impacted. And you look at something like the Village Goldsmith, which is, is, is thinking about doing a major redevelopment of its storefront, but it's holding off until it can be confident that the streets are, are going to be, um, are going to be uh, usable and safe for them to keep operating. The other, the other one, big one, of course, is big development around by Moore Wilson, uh, big investment there, of, I gather, around $20 million that they've put on hold or may have even scrapped because they're just not sure uh, whether they want to invest. They're on record talking about this, and uh, this, of course, is a major supplier to the city's hospitality and restaurants uh, and everything else. That's absolutely right, yeah. And the the development was going to revamp the premises, again, make it more of a, a, a sort of a, a destination. That's exactly right. And, of course, that's what the city needs, and especially needs uh, people that are prepared to put their own money at risk to make it a better place. So I think it's, it's this kind of uncertainty we want to minimise. Right now, uh, levels are pretty high. 
The concerns that they stated on record were, even while we're not directly on the Golden Mile, we need our customers to be able to get from one end of the city to the other. And is that another matter? It's, it, it, it is about the efficacy of having a, tr- a viable transport route for service vehicles. I think that's absolutely right. And I think some of the issues with transport in the city, uh, uh, at the heart of that was what we were trying to solve, it would be be a relatively easy debate. But I think the issue is that uh, other other things like pedestrianisation uh, or, or the way in which we build our cycleways and the debt that we incur doing that come into play with all of these kind of questions. On the question of foot traffic, obviously behaviour has changed uh, across the world since the pandemic, with more working from home at least part of the week. How is that impacting Wellington CBD? Well, I think when you look particularly at those frontline stores like retail and hospitality, it's about their business model. And the world has changed very, very quickly, especially with uh, with the impact of COVID, I think, accelerating working from home. So what you've got is a situation where businesses built their model on five days a week, for example. If you're a sandwich shop, maybe, maybe you didn't open in the weekend, maybe you did for lunch. Uh, and now they're, they're looking at totally different patterns of activity. So I think the problem is that, you, you know, your lease isn't, isn't built for three days a week or different levels of intensity and, and your costs have remained the same. So businesses um, face those challenges. And of course, those smaller businesses, smaller margins and more likely to go out of business more quickly. So the main impacts, uh, obviously, the cafes you're talking about, hospitality, retail, all of them affected by reduced foot traffic. That's absolutely right. And I think another thing we often make a point about at the Chamber of Commerce is that uh, we're, we're interdependent as a city because we, and we need to be out there using these services. The reason for that is if you look at something like the arts sector, we've been terribly proud and rightly so of the arts sector here. But a lot of people who are involved in that sector use hospitality and retail to uh, to, to fund that lifestyle. They, they have a basic job that kind of keeps them going and then they follow their passion. So when those things die off, you see impacts further afield uh, than just the specific sector. To those who say all the um, suburban cafes are doing a roaring trade in suburban shops, that's great. What do you say about the knock-on effects in an expensive real t- piece of real estate like the central city? Well, that's the, dif- the difficulty is, again, we go back to uncertainty, and you see a, a trend where you've got leases uh, for shorter periods of time being negotiated or not or holding off. Uh, between parties that can't decide on or agree on a lease, you see uh, the city sort of losing that vibrancy. And the problem with that is that also empty uh, uh, shop fronts, and we've got 46 uh, empty shop fronts on the Golden Mile, uh, uh, they are uh, a negative sort of feature of the city. And people pick that up and they, uh, they make choices about where they want to be and where they want to shop and, and work. Are rents in that Golden Mile, and particularly in Lambton Key, an issue? And is that something that all parties need to think about now there has been a change in behaviour? Well, I think that's a good point. Uh, I mean, the the rents are going to be impacted by demand uh, because you're going to see uh, the storekeepers making or retailers making decisions to go elsewhere or to do something different. And so I think it's in everyone's interest to look closely at this uh, change. And, of course, it's it's a change around the world that you have a number of buildings uh, that are just um, no longer as in demand as they were. There was a lot of frustration among businesses at the CBD uh, in the CBD that public servants were not required to return to the office sooner. Again, are we seeing 
appropriate adaptation to possibly permanent behaviour, or is that adaptation the closure of stores? It's a really, uh, it's a really good question, and I think one of the things that um, that uh, we were really keen to see was the public service uh, back in the city because they do. Uh, contribute so much to that revenue uh, over the course of a week. I think that will um, will rebalance. I think uh, there is certainly there are certainly departments that are um, putting down uh, more long term rules about working from home, and it's actually in everyone's interest to be in the office once in a while um, to share to build office culture and so on. So I do I do think that the um, I think the public sector will uh, will will recom will re-enter the city more and will feel that more. But it is a, it's a big challenge because those uh, those public servants are disproportionately <coughs> big contributors to the city, but equally they're also ones that can exercise that work from home privilege. If you're in manufacturing or you're working in a sandwich shop, for example, you don't have that uh, opportunity. Yeah, other points you make are things like uh, the GPs, the medical professionals, uh, the labs, all of them in the central city because there is a, a core number of people here. Stay with us, uh, Simon. Let's bring in Carolyn Young now, Chief Executive of Retail New Zealand. There have been a number of Wellington retailers leave the sea CBD uh, in recent times. Can you talk us through them? Yeah, it's a, a real shame to see um, key locations on, on um, Lambton Quay and Willis Street become vacant and of course that impacts um, the businesses around them because as uh, Simon was saying, people will choose whether they want to come into the city or not because of the number of businesses that are available. Um, the retailers have been telling us that part of this is a squeeze. It's the squeeze of increase of um, uh, lease costs, uh, less foot traffic coming through. It's just perhaps a greater squeeze on Product, on productivity within the store and profitability. So they have moved outside of the store into suburban areas and, and uh, people are going to have to go elsewhere to get the products from some of those shops. And so that, you know, is a bit of a wake-up call for Wellington to think that some of the stores that have been in the city for a long time are starting to move out when they're a big retailer. Lots of shoe stores have gone, for example. Yep. Yeah, Hannah's have gone, number one have gone, Hush Puppies have gone, they've moved to um, the Lyle Bay Retail Centre and to Johnsonville. And what are those retailers telling you about lease costs? They're just really high and um, they're not they're not got enough people coming through and selling enough product in order to be able to sustain increasing rents. So they have to make decisions on where they go. The challenge with that, of course, is if you are a smaller retailer rather than like a, a big box national retailer, you may own one store. And so if you own one store and you've got um, squeeze on lease costs and, and number of sales that you're making, that is um, much more difficult because you don't have the ability to adapt and move elsewhere or um, have one less staff member or um, have one store outside of the city and one store in the city, you, you're reliant completely on that store that you own as your livelihood. And as we are all struggling with the cost of living price crisis, uh, those uh, retailers that have um, the small to medium sized businesses, they're struggling with cost of retail in their personal um, life, but also their business life, which is their livelihood. They've got the squeeze there too, so they've got the double whammy. So it's a really major impact for you know small to medium sized businesses. For central uh, central business districts, typically big anchor stores are another key attraction, including at the weekends. The closure of David Jones. Uh, was a blow. It moved into the former Kilcaldy and Staines. There are some new international tenants coming, but is that major anchor building on Lambton Quay, is it fully tenanted? Is it going to be? 
We understand it's going to be fully tenanted. Yeah, the um, through the ground floor is going to be tenanted by some international retailers, and it'll be interesting to Tommy see. Tommy Hilfiger, Calvin Klein. Yep. But what about the rest of it? My understanding is that um, the owner of the building has got other plans for the floors, and they'll be fully leased by early next year. What's been the cash flow impact on many of your members? Uh, you know, just what is their reality? Uh, the reality is that they're really um, tight around whether they can stay open or not. Uh, many of them are waiting to see what happens with the economy, uh, seeing if things can be revitalised. Certainly right now in Wellington we've got WOW, so that's a, that's one of the biggest events in Wellington for retailers. So there's a lot of people hanging around for some big sales there and they're going to want to see a really big take-up with the Black Friday sales and Christmas. They're the critical factors in the lead-up over the next quarter and if people can see some good sales and good traction in those spaces they'll be able to hang on for a bit longer but I think, as Simon said, the, one of the factors is can we get people back into the city, um, not just during the weekdays, but also in the weekend. You know, the parking issues, people in Wellington are going to have to change the way in which they engage with coming into the city and think about what that looks like. What is the impact of the changes that have already happened? For example, Saturday, I think you pay on Saturday now to use the parking you meters. Do. That was comparatively new. And let's face it, this is a city that also needs all the revenue it can get its hands on and it's trying to change behaviour around transport. That said, first impacts on numbers actually coming to town, including at the weekends. Has there been an impact? Uh, yeah, the, what we're hearing from retailers is that there's a, the foot traffic is down, definitely. Um, Saturday's down and Sunday's significantly down. Uh, and, and, you know, it wasn't that long ago that parking in the city on the weekends was free. Um, so moving to less parks and being charged uh, is driving people to different habits. What are people saying about the revamp of the Golden Mile that's proposed? I think I'd reiterate what Simon was saying, just the uncertainty. Everyone is really uncertain around what, what's going to look like because it's actually not about pedestrianisation. There's still going to be vehicles going down that main area. And the challenge, I think, is, you know, they talk about the Golden Mile and that strip along Manor Street all the way through to um, uh, Courtney Place is there's a lot of vacant stores and there's a lot of um, uh, areas where it's really quite uncomfortable and unpleasant to walk through. So it doesn't have a feel of a Golden Mile. It, it feels of a place that you actually want to avoid going. So there needs to be some real thinking about how do we get um, business owners back into those stores and actually, how do that's a good point. Safety is a big driver of whether people will go to a place. And yes. we know that there are other parts of the central city at the moment that are having real issues with that. Absolutely. Uh, and are shoppers avoiding those areas? Yeah, for sure. And there's, you know, you're getting more vacant uh, storefronts along those areas as we go on because we, people just don't want to go in areas where it's really unpleasant and they feel unsafe. So is your point sometimes taking cars out of a street makes it less safe? Like pedestrianising and putting seats and bollards or whatever can potentially make it less safe? Not necessarily on its own. I think there is an issue, a growing issue of homelessness. And I think if you speak to any of the homeless shelters or the Wellington Mission, they'll tell you how difficult it really is at the moment for people. And it's not about, um, it's, it's, it's an issue for the city to consider how do we find more homes for people? How do we actually work with people that, aren't, that are homeless to find them somewhere to live that's safe and comfortable and help them find a job so that they have funds and they can go and do things that you and I would take for granted? What's to be made of the six-month leases that people are seeking? Are they becoming quite prominent? 
Well, that's, that just goes back to Simon's question about uncertainty, right? So people are uncertain about whether they can survive beyond six months. They don't want to commit for a three-plus-three three lease, which we've always seen. You know, it wasn't that long ago where landlords had the ability to say, you know, this is the terms and, and we're not taking anything else. But right now, everyone has to be flexible around what's feasible. Simon, can I come back to you about another aspect of um, central Wellington business, which is obviously the office spaces. Uh, and again... It's an interesting mix, isn't it? You might see demand perhaps down from when everyone was there five or six or seven days a week. But because of earthquake issues, is there a bit of um, pressure to get good office space? Well, you're absolutely right. And it's a bit of a paradox of the, um, of the, of the city's occupancy rates of businesses. Is that because uh, Astron House, for example, uh, the Bowen Education Building and the MSD Building and some other uh, a number of other buildings around the city, as well as those impacted by the Kokora earthquake, have either been demolished or they're out of action. And what you have as a result of that is actually quite tight occupancy rates for the next year or two, um, which which you're not which you're not expecting in, that, in the sense that uh, people are also exiting the city. So it's a bit of a it's a bit of a paradox. It will it will um, shake out in, in a year or two's time, but it, it, at the moment, yeah, it's not easy to find good space. Uh, is there a potential issue of relocation of either public or private sector, and particularly um, private sector operators, or of a downsizing? Is that something that Wellington has clearly seen in the past, and, and are there fears that that might be about to go through a new loop of it? Look, I would think uh, absolutely that there are fears of that because we're living in, in a, um, as you said at the start, a, a perfect storm, the changing uh, face of the way people do business, the changing uh, structure of the city, uh, plus some of the other things specific to Wellington, um, are, co- are problematic. Uh, uh, we always uh, fight hard to make sure the public sector stays voluntarily uh, grounded here. I do think that in the end, going to uh, uh, see those core services wanting to still be close to their clients, but it is a challenge. Uh, very interesting, just some feedback coming in from listeners saying they did stop coming to the CBD to shop uh, when the parking costs went up. Uh, another says, surely there'll be more foot traffic with pedestrianisation. Does that necessarily well, I, follow? You've got to, not, if, not you're coming, if you're coming no. from out of town, you've got to get there, right? Yeah. So that's the next question. And it's not pedestrianised, let's remember that. It's not like it's a complete mall all the way from Lampton Quay through to Courtney Place. There's still buses and vehicles going through that space. So I think that's the question that we want to think about when we're looking at this. It's, you know, pedestrianisation is thrown around, but it's actually not. It's to make it more pleasant for pedestrians and to provide ease of access, but it's actually not pedestrianisation across the street. And Simon, what would people like to see, including by means of public transport that meant people confidently used it day in, day out, perhaps even coming in to shop? Are you seeing an overall plan that facilitates a strong CBD? Look, one of the bugbears for anyone who commutes in Wellington is that uh, the, the compact is, you know, okay, if you're going to take out the car parks and things, provide us with a good public transport service and actually do that first. Unfortunately, what's happened is we've got the situation where the people uh, don't think the buses are reliable. They aren't used. Uh, they aren't sure about using them. But I'd also add, you know, uh, there's no, there's nothing wrong with incrementalism. I'm not sure why we take uh, so many car parks out at once and cost the council now uh, 1.1 million dollars in revenue uh, thus far, uh, and that's got to come from somewhere. And what that will come from is the ratepayers' back pocket. So in some ways we've got to be very careful about you know, what we're trying to achieve here and who ends up paying for it. 
there's uh, another uh, area around town, and you'll speak to it, Simon. That it has been touted, you know, the so-called coolest little capital in the world, as a place for tech companies. You've got a small, walkable, compact city. Uh, yes, you can work from home, or you can work from wherever. Uh, you've got a, an absolute powerhouse in the, in the likes of what is happening with Weta and with Peter uh, Jackson's empire, if I can, can call it that. Mm. Do we have a number of uh, quite low-key uh, high-tech companies operating, and are we making the place attractive enough for more to come? Wellingtonians are um, justified, but should be justified, be proud of. We've got 90 tech companies in that small square mile around Dixon Street, um, and they are doing amazing things. A lot of the time we don't hear about them because they're developing sensitive IP, and they don't particularly want their heads above the parapet until they're ready to launch to the world. But it is a really, really exciting thing for Wellington. One of the things that they'll tell you, though, is it is very difficult to recruit people in and show them your office if in a tatty, run-down and unsafe-feeling part of town. And that just makes sense. So one of the things they have trouble doing is attracting talent, and I think that's one of the things specific to the city, that unless we have a great uh, offering in terms of a a really nice place to to work, then people are going to say, oh, I think I'll go elsewhere. Well, speaking of Dixon Street, another institution, the century-old Dixon Street Deli, has announced its closing. Uh, And a few weeks ago, another mature Wellington food business, Wishbone, uh, shut up shop as well. One, one final point, and it's longer term. Um, many great world cities, even good ones, will also facilitate an environment where more people live in the central city. It's very interesting in Auckland. Its CBD obviously has had its own massive travails with the amount of uh, construction work happening there. But something like 45,000 people live in what they, they don't like calling the CBD. Uh, and is, is that factoring anywhere in anyone's thinking? It would take major investment getting um, buildings up to earthquake standards, uh, getting them soundproofed. But do you see, again, a cohesive plan for the city going forward, either of you? I think for me, from my perspective, if you look at the plans that we had for Wellington, um, they were pre-COVID. They are based on pre-COVID estimates of the city filling up with certain people. So my the sensible option for me is to re-look at all of that in light of these new uh, of a lot of these new changes. I would make two points. One, um, a lot of people think it's just converting office space is very simple, but it really depends very much on the footprint of the office, if that's possible to make it into residential. But the second thing is, if you are going to convert office space, make sure, and I think that's a really good point that you make, make sure that it, it also caters to human life, if you like. So make sure there are green spaces, there are GPs, there are uh, opportunities for children, the play, playgrounds and things, because if you simply turn a building into a uh, into into an apartment, you run the risk of what we saw in London in the 60s with the estate. But you end up sort of having places that people are just housed in uh, tall cages. Carolyn, are you of a view on this? Yeah, I think there's two things. One, just to reiterate what Simon says, I think you have to look at the, the end-to-end picture about what you're trying to create. And I think the intent of what the council's wanting to do is really good, right? They're wanting to make a vibrant um, city and really improve things. So It's people um, first, though, isn't it? Yeah. It's people yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and life happening. And you can't just draw it on a whiteboard. That's right. And, and how do we make sure that right now in 2023, heading into 24, that the plans that were initiated a few years ago are still relevant to the environment that we're in? And what pace do we need to work that through, given the cost of living crisis and the issues that people are facing right now? So I think, you know, I don't want to say that, you know, it's, everything's terrible. It's just, it's how do we, how do we adjust 
what we're doing to actually get the right outcomes for the city as a whole and it might take a little bit longer to get there. Thanks both of you. Carolyn Young is Chief Executive of Retail NZ. Thanks also to uh, our guest Simon Arcus who is with uh, the Chamber of Commerce